0: Good morning uh, and welcome to House C. Production and Gospel, Blog Talk Radio. We're located at 231 6th Avenue. Today is a beautiful Tuesday morning. It is cold throughout the South and a uh, greater part of the nation. We hope you'll be safe. Stay off the roads when they tell you to stay off the road. Be safe in your environment and what you're doing. If you don't know anything about driving on snow and icy roads, do not get out on the road. Make sure you're wearing your mask and doing all the things that is required of you. We thank you all for joining us here this morning. We have a three-hour broadcast set up for you, and it's a mixture of news and current information that we've been dealing with uh, in this nation for the last uh, four years or so with our last president, President uh, Donald Trump, and the onset of the new president, um, um Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Thank you all and enjoy the broadcast. Thank you.
1: Welcome to the Seaside Hotel. Udlågende folk. Beste we Where tradition. <laughs> romance. Det er grejpel. kærlighed. Rendezvous. Hvordan er det at bed helt unntryk? Det er noget. Scandals. Det er da en sted, And scuffles. Oh, oh, are all included at no extra charge.
2: <laughs> so, oh,
1: Seaside Hotel, available with PBS Passport. Now streaming.
3: And for the seven Republican senators who voted to convict former President Trump, the backlash from inside their own party has been swift and severe. As we reported, censures for two of those senators, Louisiana's Bill Cassidy and Pennsylvania's Pat Toomey, by state or local officials, party officials. Tonight, Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina may be the third to face that fate. You're now to analyze the fallout from the impeachment trial and where we go from here. Amy Walter of The Cook Political Report and Tamara Keith of NPR. Hello to both of you on this Monday night. It's so good to see you. Amy, um, we've now had, what, 46 presidents of the United States, and only one of them has been impeached twice, and only one of them had to uh, go through a trial uh when he was out of office, uh, so Donald Trump has made history in every which way here, but in the end after this trial that ended over the weekend in
4: uh, an acquittal, where are we? right and where is the Republican party right and this seems to be the question that we uh, continue to grapple with or have been grappling with really since 2015 Judy, when it seemed at so many times during, Trump's first campaign during his time as president, that the party was going to break up over Donald Trump. And yet when all is said and done, the party continues to rally around him. In this case on uh, the, the vote over the weekend to convict uh, the president was no different. In some ways, as you said, this was a historic moment. This was the most bipartisan impeachment ever in American history. So that's quite remarkable. And yet, at the same time, it doesn't tell us anything about uh, Trump's uh, inability to keep a hold of the party. In fact, what it tells us is that he still has a pretty good hold on the party. As you pointed out, uh, a number of those senators who voted for conviction have since been censured. We know members of the House who voted for impeachment have also been censured, and they've been threatened with primary races. Um, we know that even in a bipartisan vote, it was still 10 votes short of a conviction. And we also know that the seven Republicans who voted, these are not who voted for conviction. These are not the rising stars in the party. These aren't folks who you're going to see on the ballot in 2024 running for president. Uh, only one of them is up for reelection in 2022. That's Lisa Murkowski from Alaska. Two of them are retiring Senator Byrd, Senator Toomey, Byrd from North Carolina, Toomey that you pointed out from Pennsylvania, also been censured. The rest uh, are either up in 2026, so they were just recently elected, reelected, or one of them, Mitt Romney, up in 2024. So there is no immediate repercussions for these most of these senators like there is for members of the House. But at the end of the day, I think what's been made very clear is that this is still the party of Donald Trump. The local grassroots activists who are censuring these members, making it very clear where their loyalties lie and what they're expecting from other elected officials down the road in 2022 and beyond.
3: And and, and Tam, pick up on that. I mean, how much yeah. does this trial uh, verdict tell us? about the hole that Donald Trump still has on on his own party?
5: As Amy mentioned, the the local party apparatuses are very Trumpy, if you will. They were consolidated behind president Trump. His campaign was very concerned about a primary challenge potentially in 2020. So they made sure that every state and local party operation all over the country was controlled by president Trump. And those loyalists are still in place. And that's why you're seeing these censures come so fast and, and so, so strongly. Um, What does that mean in terms of primaries? What does that mean in terms of Senate races? Uh, You know, I think that we can look at what Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House, and Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader in the Senate, how they are charting their path, trying to sort of have it both ways, uh, wanting the Trump base, but also trying to figure out how to keep Republicans who were completely and totally outraged by what happened on January 6th and didn't see that violent mob as being part of their party. Um, And so you had McConnell give this absolutely scorching floor speech about President Trump after, of course, voting to acquit and saying that it wasn't constitutional, they should have done the trial before he left office, but also he held up and prevented the trial from happening before he left office. And with McCarthy, he was very critical of President Trump in the immediate aftermath. But before long, he was down at Mar-a-Lago kissing President Trump's ring, not technically, but uh, trying to get Trump's support to... In primaries to to get Republicans who can win in twenty twenty
3: two. And Amy is, is there anybody in the Republican Party? Clearly, there's somebody, but but who has enough influence in the Republican Party uh, to counter what's going on with uh, those who are so loyal uh, to Donald Trump?
4: And we're going to learn uh, a lot, I think, in these next couple of years, as we watch these primaries unfold in Senate races and others, we're going to see, for example, even this this year in a state like Virginia, uh, where you have a governor's race, what kind of candidate comes out uh, of their process there? They actually have a convention, not a primary. And what are the issues that they run on? And, you know, Virginia is a place where normally, historically, whichever party's in the White House at that time, loses the governor's race in Virginia. But Virginia has also gotten a lot bluer um, in the last few years, and the backlash to Trump was pretty significant. Um, I think we're also going to have to see just how invested Donald Trump is in being uh, uh, with the party in terms of its daily dealings. Right? Is he really going to take all this money that he's raised and plow it into the local parties, plow it into helping candidates up and down the ballot? Um, Or is he going to use it as a way to punish those Republicans who he thinks have wronged him, like Representative Liz Cheney from Wyoming? Or maybe he sits on it and doesn't use any of it for any other candidate. So there's still a lot of unknowns there. And most important, Judy, we don't know what we're talking about in terms of the political environment a year or two from now. I think that sets the tone more than anything else in terms of the kinds of candidates that become successful are the candidates that fit that moment. Well,
3: we'd like you both to know exactly what's gonna happen a year or two in (laughs) advance, but we'll (laughs) wait till next week. We'll wait till next week. But, Tam, I do want to turn you both uh, here in the minutes we have left to to uh, what's happening with covid relief while the trial was going on in the Senate. The House was moving ahead with uh, with uh, some of President Biden's proposal on covid uh, relief. How much does it matter whether he is able to get Republican votes or not, whether this ends up being an all Democratic uh, uh, measure? I'm
5: not quite sure how much it ultimately does matter. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, will, will voters hold it against him that they didn't get Republicans if their unemployment benefits last, or if the COVID vaccine rollout goes well, or if their kids are actually in school? I think that the, the big test for Biden is, and, and, and he and his administration believe that they need this COVID package to make this happen. But come 2022, the question is, do you feel better today than you did two years ago when people are going to bo- going to vote? And that's going to depend on how they handle the pandemic. And, and I think a lot is going to depend on whether people feel like their lives are back to normal.
3: And a big part of that is going to be the schools. And Amy, uh, uh, I mean, pick up on that from there, because... Um, there are those who are saying he needs to show early on that he uh, is going to live up to this unity uh, promise that he right. campaigned on. Um, and others are saying, look, that's, you know, that was never going to happen. It's it's
4: going to have to be Democrats all the way. Well, there's another unity challenge he may have, and that's keeping Democrats unified. You know, we've we've been spending these last few weeks focused on the divisions within the Republican Party. But, you know, Democrats, in order to get this package through, they can't afford to lose any senator. We've already seen some splits on issue within the Democratic Party on issues like including the $15 an hour minimum wage in this covid package, some consternation about um, the price tag on certain things. And uh, Pelosi and the House Speaker Pelosi can only afford to lose, you know, four or five votes there. So keeping the party united on the same page, again, it's a lot easier when you're the one in charge and you know that ultimately um, this is, uh, you know, going to define your party. At the same time, you know, it's a real test for Team Biden and and Democrats and leadership to be able to get this through. And the clock is ticking. These unemployment benefits that Tam pointed to, um, you know, this is the beginning of March where they're really going to need to make sure that that this money is going out the door and that people are getting these checks.
3: And in many ways, the calendar is flying along. No, no. question about it. That's the serious that's the most serious deadline out there. Amy Walter, Tamra Keith, next week, we'll ask you about 2024, 2028. <laughs> you know. Yeah, we're going we to let time. you off the hook. Too soon <laughs> <laughs> Thank
0: you both. Amy Walter, Tamara Keith. All right. Uh, stay with us. There's more coming your way here on House of Lincoln Gospel Blog Talk Radio. We're located at 231 6th Avenue down south here in Beatrice. If you want to find us on the Internet, all you got to do is type in the hashtag H-O-W-C-E-E. We minister to the whole man here on House of the Gospel, blog, talk, radio. Enjoy more coming your way on House of Gospel. But in 1921, it would all but disappear.
1: I remember the white people coming in with torches, setting our house on fire.
6: They were shooting from airplanes. My husband said, Baby, we've lost everything we had.
7: Going back to T Town, an American experience.
5: This is our story.
8: Jesus today, oh God. We are rising. The black church was more than just a spiritual home. It was the epic center of black life. Out of it came our black
9: businesses, our black educational institutions. The black church gave people a sense of value, belonging, and worthiness. I don't know how we could have survived as a people without it.
0: To tell the story of American religion is to tell a political story.
9: The black church helped us to withstand all
1: the slings and arrows of segregation and the segregationists.
9: We're willing
8: to be beaten for democracy.
1: Freedom! Who are the five great black preachers of all time? There's so many. Prathia Hall.
10: Renita Wings.
1: We serve a Jesus who came and turned over the tables. Jeremiah Wright. Gardner Taylor. Gardner Taylor. Howard Thurman. I left our oldest Moss. Presiding Bishop Michael Curry.
11: Love can be sacrificial.
1: Did you think that you were going to get one amen out of those Brits? I learned how to see amens in their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to clap my hands. I'm clap my hands. I'm going to sing to the Lord. Some might argue that the black church is the first black theater. The role of music in the black church, it's everything. How do you define gospel music? Oh, really simple. Gospel music is the sonic presentation that talks about the majesty of Jesus.
6: Entertainment shouldn't be in the church.
9: What do you think the preacher
6: does? <laughs>
9: the preacher, hand your ah,
1: hand
9: <laughs> it ah, what if that's entertainment. <laughs> The African-American church is 80 to 90% women, but the leadership is 80 to 90% male. There's an awful price to pay when you say that you're a same-gender loving person.
8: If you say you were born this way, then you're saying, God,
2: you're a liar.
9: We are a testament to the goodness and the grace of God. Everything in the world has tried to kill
1: us and we're still here.
8: Culture says you're the wrong race. The price says, I made your race, and I ain't made no mistake.
1: It was our bomb in Gilead, the place where our people made a way out of nowhere. It was that place from which our souls could look back and wonder how we got over. We call it the church.
0: Your Internet Radio, How Production Gospel. Follow us
1: online. In 1871, that cultural tension would come to a head at Fisk University in Nashville. At a time when minstrel shows were dominating the American stage, the school's choral director hit on the idea of a concert tour featuring his colored Christian singers performing slave songs and spirituals that would appeal to white audiences and raise desperately needed funds. (laughs) (laughs)
12: The spirituals were really melodies without accompaniment. And then over
1: generations, we adapted them, adopted them, arranged them. Those arrangements that were occurring, you know, in the 1870s. Oh, uh, from Fist Jubilee uh, singers. the Hampton groups. But they were quite different from the simple folk songs that had a single melody and repeat it over and over. Yeah, because they had a white audience. They were trying to clean up the folk tradition, in a way. Dress it up in a suit and tie, That's right. metaphorically. Right.
0: You're listening to House Broken Gospel, Blog Talk Radio, located at 231 6th Avenue, located down south here in Beatrice, Alabama. Enjoy. More coming your way.
1: As the free black community slowly began to grow in the years before the Declaration of Independence... The first institutions that they created, along with their enslaved sisters and brothers, were houses of worship. One of the earliest was in Savannah, Georgia. Today, it's known as the First African Baptist Church. Reverend, I feel like I'm in the presence of black church religious history. Tell me a story of this church, like a miracle.
8: Well, the church actually had its beginnings in 1773 mm-hmm. when George Lowell, who was a slave, was mm-hmm. granted permission to preach up and down the Savannah River. Mm-hmm. In August of 1777, he was able to obtain his freedom. Hmm. He was able to also constitute the church that same year.
1: You know what I love about this church? I always, whenever I go into a black church, I look to see what color God is, what color are the angels, what color is Jesus. If you're saints are your predecessors who founded and perpetuated the tradition. I think that's brilliant.
8: This sanctuary actually would not have been built if it had not been for Andrew Cox Marshall, who preached for 44 years about how he wanted to build a brick church, Mm -hmm. not just the the temporary wooden buildings that had been built. When we think of those who built the church, definitely of recent African descent, this building has so many symbols in it that are codes for various things mm-hmm. in the windows, in the ceiling, on the side of the pews.
1: After long days of labor, the free and enslaved members of First African Baptist worked through the night to create a home in which to worship their God. The people who built these pews paid homage to Christ, but also left a surprising trace of another African religious past. Islam. The black church.
0: The foundation of a nation. The church. The foundation
1: of a black people. The church. How important do you think your music was to the success of the civil rights movement?
6: Personally, mm-hmm. I feel that without the songs of the civil rights movement, there wouldn't have been a
9: movement mm. because the song kept us from being afraid. Say so you're walking down the street doing a march and this this policeman tell you you're going to be hit or whatever. Mm-hmm. You start singing. I ain't going to let nobody turn me around. Right. right. Not even the chief of police.
1: <laughs> Not even a billy club. Not even a billy club.
0: you join on on PPS tonight uh, on the public broadcast station station, uh, about the black church and the foundation for a race of
1: people the black people Today off the coast of Georgia we can find some of the deepest traces of Christianity in places like Sapelo Island home to the Gullah Geechee people but the Muslim religion's strong roots persisted as well Islam, survived in ways that creolized Black Christianity. During the 20s and 30s,
9: people descended on Sapelo, researchers and writers, who were also looking for the African origins of Black culture. The The missing missing link. link. So the stories that they told contributed to a wealth of knowledge Mm -hmm. about the existence of
1: Black Muslims on Georgia's coast. What happened to them descendants of the Muslims who were here. Are you descended from a Muslim? I am actually.
9: I mean, but most people from Sapelo are also descendants.
1: So the practice of Islam did not last very long within the community. Soon people were converted to Christianity.
9: There was a time where there were people who seemed to remember that there might be specific traditions that might be associated with Islam, Mm -hmm. burial practices, Mm -hmm. you know, where graves are facing.
1: There's a lot of East to West orientation that I've
9: seen. One of the things that I think that is the story of black religion in America Mm -hmm. is that um, what enslaved people did in this new context was they attempted to merge and, you know, fuse... Mm -hmm these different worlds Mm -hmm. that they lived in.
0: As you listen to the powerful story of what transpired in this nation with a race of people, open your hearts in love and continue to care. In
1: 1822, fearful of a slave revolt, white people executed Denmark Vesey and destroyed Charleston's main black church. More than 40 years later, Reverend Cain started rebuilding the church and it became the flagship of the AME denomination in South Carolina. It was located on a street named for John C. Calhoun, a staunch defender of slavery. It would be christened Emmanuel, a Hebrew name that means God is with us. Music. A
0: powerful foundation. You're listening to Householder Gospel Block Talk Radio on Beatus Alabama.
1: Over time, schools in church basements would evolve into historically black colleges and universities, like Spelman and Morehouse in Atlanta, Fisk in Nashville, and Tuskegee in Alabama. These schools sought to educate leaders, and that education often started in the pulpit.
9: The vast majorities of HBCUs, historically by colleges and universities, were founded to be seminaries and divinity schools, training grounds for ministers and teachers. These schools understood themselves to be doing the work of God.
0: All these clips that you're listening to is about the upcoming broadcast, the Black Church here on, on the PBS station tonight. Make sure you join them. I think the black church
8: was the thing we were totally in charge of. We didn't have any external forces that had to give us permission. Whatever we wanted to do, it was up to us. It was ours.
1: In the first decade after the Civil War, thousands of black churches sprouted throughout the South to unify and uplift a community that had been divided and degraded in bondage.
0: One of the most powerful things you must remember about the church is a place for assembly where you gather and to worship Christ. But the church is in your heart. The church is in your heart.
1: The culture was changing. Amelia Earhart was flying planes. Women were starting to wear pants.
8: Until the sound as late at night as any man.
1: And the moralistic side of the church said women are getting out of their place. This is going to hurt homes. So be this type of feminine woman. And you'll keep your husband, you'll be thought well of, etc.
8: Until they won't read that your Ground the doctor, and the
2: nurse have to read.
8: It's a fascinating sermon, both because it gives us some insight into the 1920s, but also provides for us a historical uh, line that we see that some of these battles are still going on in our churches today. We're still dealing with churches who don't recognize women as preachers. Uh, We're dealing with churches still wrestling with whether or not they will recognize same-sex marriage. So these issues about how one's sex, if you will, should shape the role you're allowed to play in society are still battles we're dealing with.
0: God said in his word that how can they hear without the preacher? Keep your heart open
1: to the words of your pastor. One of the most influential pastors To take advantage of the medium was the Reverend Clarence LeVon Franklin, Aretha Franklin's father, the man with the million-dollar voice.
2: The eagle is a personification of God.
1: Known by his initials CL, Franklin recorded his enormously popular sermon, The Eagle Starreth Her Nest, in 1953 at New Bethel Baptist Church his pastoral home. Franklin was
12: really a Southern minister in this huge congregation in Detroit. So when people hear him on the radio nationwide or when they buy his record, what they're hearing is generations of Black religious tradition that's reflected in
8: the Southern style of sermonizing, sing-song style.
0: The powerful words of Malcolm X and how it affected the Black church and the people here in this United States of America.
8: We want to make them pass the strongest civil rights bill they've ever passed. In order to do this, there won't be a door in Harlem that will not have been knocked on to see that whatever black face lives behind that door is registered to
12: vote. Between 1920 and 1960,
0: African Americans have built real bastions of political power in the urban north, so that they can actually demand a much higher level of accountability from the federal government. So much so that black voting strength begins to determine U.S. presidential elections. And so if you're a person like John F. Kennedy or Lyndon B. Johnson, and you want to be elected president, suddenly the African-American vote is a swing vote. The African-American vote, you've seen what it can do in this last election as it removes President Donald Trump from office and placed in Joe Biden. Thurman was
8: enormously impressed by the combination of a spiritual and political movement committed to the discipline of nonviolence that was effective in removing the British colonial power and freeing the people of India. In 1949, Thurman publishes this little book entitled Jesus and the Disinherited.
6: Howard Thurman urges people to master the force, the power of love, so that you can love another person who may be hateful into knowing that they are also a holy child of God.
8: These are major themes that are not lost on people like Martin Luther King Jr., (laughs) uh, who reads the book we know shortly after it was published.
0: Martin Luther King Jr. always traveled with Jesus and the Disinherited. I mean, he clean underwear, shirt, mm-hmm. and he'd have uh, Howard Thurman in his briefcase. And he read Howard Thurman for inspiration.
2: I am convinced
8: that nonviolent resistance is the most potent weapon. Available to oppressed people in their struggle for freedom and human dignity.
0: How see Production Gospel Blog Talk Radio Enjoy. Gospel, Blog Talk Radio, PBS. Now is,
1: now is the time, now is the time,
13: now is the time to make a change.
9: Now is the time for action to change the world for the better.
13: stop over policing black and brown students i'm nervous they don't need police they need more counselors leave we where there. and i love this
10: romeo and katrina is centered on an asian and black love story no one is missing. i'm doing something good. i'm doing something to help
6: other people why can't you see that we have to get as many legislators as possible to pass police reform bills. I'm the number one target for white supremacists. Don't you pull that gun out. Just today we got a death threat. I have accepted that I might have to die, but I'm not accepting that my family has to die. If you test with a black kid, I am coming for you.
1: This program was made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a grant from the Ann Ray Foundation, a Margaret A. Cargill Philanthropy, and by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you.
0: Now is the time for everyone to step up and fight against racism and oppression.
2: Now is the time to take action. You should have been
8: downtown. The people are rising.
9: Now is the time for a new generation of superheroes to finish the unfinished business of the civil rights movement.
13: Our tool is our democracy activism, organizing, and artistic
11: expression. We're knocking on doors, we're getting people activated. Sign petitions and
13: call representatives. And do the hard work. And as the late great brother John Lewis would proclaim, Make good trouble.
8: Oh my, time heals all, but you out of
6: time now. Judge gotta watch us from the clock tower. Little tear gas, clear the whole place out. I'll be back with the hazmat for the next round. This work is not easy and
13: can be emotional and overwhelming, and it takes a lot on your mental health.
14: It's going to
10: require a lot of resilience, strength, and courage.
8: And each of us need to do our part
11: because the time is now.
10: And because I believe, and because I hope, the time is now,
6: right now. <laughs> You know what? You're not in trouble. Can you come into the precinct for me? Uh, no. If you didn't do anything wrong, what do you have to hide?
9: No. Everything can be dealt with here, right?
6: Am I suspected of committing a crime or am I free to go? Am I suspected of committing a crime or am I free to go? And say, you know what, police... I'm going to call Black Lives Matter Utah. I'm going to call Lex, because she's coming right over here. How do I look? Oh, I'm glad I looked at that. I'm Lex. I'm the founder of Black Lives Matter Utah. Okay. My start to activism was in 2014, 2015, when Trayvon Martin and Eric Garner were murdered. In recent years, homicides committed by police were ranked the second highest rate of death in the state. And Utah has the highest rate of in-custody deaths in the nation. Police here are a fraternity of bullies. i why are you fighting me?
15: A black person is suspect immediately. I've been profiled many times
9: driving. That's one of the reasons my wife does most of the driving. When I was with my wife, who was white, and my kids, the police officer pulled me over. He came over to my wife's
2: side of the vehicle and proceeded to ask her if she was there of her own volition
8: and if I had raped her or anything like that, while our kids are in the back of the van.
6: September 10th, I get a phone call that a police officer shot and killed my cousin, Bobby Dupworth. Bobby was experiencing a mental health crisis. Police showed up, shot, and killed him. Shot him seven times. On March. 23rd,
14: 2019, our son had been shot 11 times in his home by police. Jamal will be permanently disabled for the rest of his life.
6: I moved to Utah when I was one year old, and the bullying started in my life here. Kids making fun of my hair, kids making fun of my butt. A kid would drive by my house in in the middle of the night and scream, We're going to kill you, N word. And Sometimes it was physical abuse. I was being raped every day by my daycare provider. So I was just victimized. But I grew up and I'm angry. If you mess with a black kid, I am coming for you. I will be the person I needed when I was a kid. Our organizational structure is truly a multi-pronged approach. We hit the streets to protest police who brutalize and murder people. We work with legislators on both sides of the aisle to pass legislation that would stop police brutality from occurring. And we also work with police to hold them accountable for their actions and to correct the wrongs that they've already committed. I went to my first protest and I saw Lex on the stage and I got chills. This is who I want to follow. Activism is the hardest thing I've ever done. What? Doors have been slammed in my face. I've been called too controversial.
0: If you're outspoken here, you're watched. On top of that, you're getting death threats.
6: Don't you pull that gun out. Some people think we're terrorists. We are hunted by white supremacists and by several militia groups. What's your name? You need to know my name. No, I do need to know so your you name. You don't need to know my name. It's like trauma, death, infighting, and failure. Morning. Morning. Do you know most people don't eat fried chicken for breakfast? Did you know most people don't film their daughters while they're eating? (laughs) You have to have a sense of humor to survive civil rights. So we use comedy to make things light in the house for bliss, for everybody. This is my husband's. What are you guys doing now? Just hanging out. Look at me, one, two,
9: three.
6: I have such a beautiful family.
9: This is Tab
6: Uno. I'm gonna door knock for you today. Hello, It's my dog
8: bite from campaigning right there.
6: And what are you running for?
8: The glorious opportunity to be a Utah House of Representatives
2: member.
6: The 2020 election is important for so many reasons, but to people here in Utah, the key races in the House could change the trajectory of police reform throughout the state. I can go anywhere. So I'm out here canvassing to get Tab Uno elected. For me, it's not really about which party you're affiliated with. When it comes to keeping my people safe, I'm willing to work with whoever I can to make sure that we get police reform done. This election is so crucial. I'm big scared um, that we might lose um, everything.
10: When I told her, I was like, hey, you know, I'm supporting Black Lives Matter. I'm paraphrasing a lot. But immediately, my mom goes straight to like I see this
14: a lot with the Vietnamese um, community, especially older generations, is that with the Black Lives Matter movement, it's highly traumatic and triggering. The moment she heard the words Black Lives Matter, that's probably where her mind went, because that's the extreme that she's hearing from the news. And that's what she's scared of. I'm
10: doing something good. I'm doing something to help other people. Yeah. Why can't you see that? Okay, you got your plate, I got my plate. Let's roll some... Springer's. It's a masterpiece. That looks so good. No, it's a masterpiece of sloppy. My name is Christine. I was born and raised on the West Bank of New Orleans. I'm Vietnamese American. I'm a child of refugees. Interior, various homes in New Orleans, night. The musical that I'm writing. Romeo and Katrina, which is centered on an Asian and Black love story. It's an all-Asian and Black cast. Romeo and Katrina, it is centered on a love story that I have experienced. Remember when I was yeah. in high school and I went to that black, uh, the dance with, the, with that black guy and you were like, oh, remember? Uh, That's what family
2: is okay.
10: Yeah, but if we got married, he yes, said my life would be more difficult, right? True. Yeah, true. Yeah. It's harder
2: because for...
10: Because of the complexion. Because of the what?
2: The complexion.
10: Complexion. It's harder if you're Black, huh? True. I pushed back on her, and I remember saying that, you know, love wins, and... And if we had mixed-race kids, they would be beautiful because they would be my kids. Here she goes. I didn't marry someone black. Instead, I actually married someone white, who's a beautiful human being, and I love my husband, and I love our daughter. But I realized that maybe my life is safer because I married someone white, and that is so fundamentally wrong. disrupting racism one play at a time. That's my way to hopefully share my vision of the future and my vision of what the world can be. And I wanted to share those feelings with my mom. Why are you running to problems? She said, you know, just like, keep your head down. That's not your problem. I don't want to ask for problems. I don't want to break the peace in my family. I don't want to lose what we Worked so hard for, but I do want to try to make the world better. Hello, hi, Ma. How are you? Yeah. I just want to share with you, you know, my first uh, my first musical is on Saturday. I want her to watch the show. I want her to enjoy it and show. She approves of my choices and my friends. At the end of the show, I might ask you a question and pull you up on the camera and ask you what you think about the show. Okay. Is that good? Okay. So let's make a show.
3: ...surveillance footage caught 38-year-old school resource officer, look at that, Willard Miller, manhandling the 15-year-old girl at a school for children with special
13: needs. He is charged with... And she literally had her hands in her pocket. That's... mm. Wow. SROs stand for school resource officers. Contract-wise, they are supposed to build a healthy relationship with school students and themselves. Um, in real life, they're traumatizing as hell. This particular video happened at St. Paul, Minnesota. You're under
2: arrest. Oh, what? Chris Chris Chris. <laughs>
13: Data shows when police officers are present suspensions go up we have higher dropout rates and lower graduation rates
11: a school resource officer escorting a middle school boy lifts and body slams
13: him it's kind of like more protect and serve white students whereas it's like law and order for black students how is that a conducive environment when you're continuously scared when you see what's happening to individuals who look like you. And then you're placed in schools, which are supposed to be a safe place for you to learn.
9: Principal Kevin Murray helps Officer Shallis hold Williams down while a teen is handcuffed and tasered.
13: And then we ask ourselves, why do we have such a big achievement gap? Why are black and brown students not performing well? Um, I'm gonna start off by reading the open letter we sent to Ignite the Youth, a group of former and current students, to Superintendent Peterson and all of the school board members. I started Ignite the Youth to remove school resource officers out of three of our 19 schools. The only three schools have officers, and what we're saying is we need to stop over-policing Black and Brown students and start investing in restorative justice practices, more after-school programming, more tutoring. This is my old high school. It's both like a site of, you know, memories like growing up, um, but also a site of being referred to the criminal justice system. I was about 16, I'd say. Me and this white individual would continuously go at it within our school. Every time I would make a complaint or she would make a complaint. She would always get more understanding as opposed to the understanding I would get, and then it went to a boiling point where we got into a physical altercation. The assistant principal literally left all angry, came back with the officer, and he's like, "I want her charged now." And so I was charged with a felony assault, and I was the only individual that was charged, and it was scary. Mom's just going to (laughs) some movies. My parents are originally from Somalia. There's 10 of us all together. Six sisters, two brothers, and then my mom and dad. My dad gets really excited when he sees me on the local newspaper. He's like, oh my God, I've seen you on the paper. Um, My mom gets very scared, I'd say. You know, like she tries not to mess things up too much. It's like, this is a white man's world. You know, like you just kind of navigate it and try to find your way slowly. And so I think I think she's more scared. So we have seven board members within our district. The school resource officer contract ends on December 31st. We're trying to get four board members to vote to not renew the contract with the city of Mankato and the Mankato Police Department. We need four of them to vote against it because it's the majority. The vote is happening December 21st. What's standing in my way is white board members and a white superintendent with his white cabinet not being able to grasp just a little bit on why black and brown students do not feel safe with police officers in schools. Some of the comments, uh, messages we have gotten it's these terrorists we need the cops for. Black Students Matter, and then So do white students. F to the hell off and just go back if you don't like it. They're intense. It's scary, uh, but it's not scary enough to have me stop doing this work
6: now is the time for racial healing and
0: true transformation. I am founder of the Black Lives Matter Tulsa chapter. We have one of the uh, worst past in history when it comes to uh, racial issues and we can date back to 1921, the race massacre.
11: i actually standing here in historic Black Wall Street. During the 1921 race massacre, my great-grandfather saw bodies dumped off uh, along the side of the railroad track. This is all done in an effort to cover up uh, one of the worst race massacres in the history of our nation.
8: I was at a meeting in 2018 which put uh, the search for mass graves into motion. It's important to reconcile so you can uh, build trust.
16: This is uh, my hometown. My group has been working to raise awareness about the 1919 Corbin race riot. In
15: 1919, white vigilantes expelled all of the African-American citizens of this community.
16: We've gathered these documents, which are primary testimonies from victims of the 1919 race riot.
15: Just as we, as people, need to come to grips with our traumas in order to overcome them, communities do too. The story I had to learn
13: was of my great-great-grandmother's 12,000-acre sugar plantation. While there's no way that we can ever fully return what's been stolen from Black and Indigenous people, it's the work of my lifetime to keep showing up. All of us white people do so anonymously. We've been moving money to the Segura Tata Land Trust and to the Black Solidarity Fund.
8: I spent five years incarcerated from the time that I was 16 to 21. There are a lot of people of color in the same position that I am and do not have what is considered liberty to grow to your fullest potential. Now I work for the Racial Justice Coalition. Our most recent success was getting a local reparations resolution passed unanimously. It's important to heal the wounds to be able to go on into the future. And so that generations and generations to come will have an understanding of being unified and working together. The truth is always important.
6: So these are our police brutality victims' murals. The majority of the bells that we have on the hill represents a victim of police brutality, and that is the case for the Valencia family. Brian Valencia was a Spartan race runner. He ran competitively. He ran marathons. They're exercising out here in his honor right now. Yes,
1: we are. He, uh, you know, he loved burpees. He loved their exercise. Show me a burpee.
6: There we go. Brian put himself into rehab, and he spent 30 days there. He was getting out the next day, and his family gets a call that police shot and killed him. What happened? We don't have the body cam footage. It's been over six months. That's why we want a bill that says all body cam footage has to be released within 10 days of every officer-involved shooting, unedited with sound because every time someone is killed by police the district attorney gets up on the news and justifies the shooting justice for brian yep justice for brian you might help us with some police reform bills yeah i i listened to the two uh, suggestions that you have on the body cam bill yeah yeah i can do that i'll uh, submit a
15: request
1: today
6: Okay, thank you so much, Mr. Wheatley. Thank you so much. Bye. Woo. I'm out here honking, waving. And I'm I'm dancing a little. We're playing chess, not checkers. We're playing the long game. And that means you get the right people into office, then you get your police reform bills passed. Said so we love tap Uno. We love tap uno.
10: That's two puppies of the Chronicle. There we are, listed under theater. I am praying that I get a lot of guidance. I want to make sure that Albert gets the accent right. He's playing the father. And in order to get that right, I need to speak to somebody who has that accent. I'm using my art to build community. How do I build that connection with my mom? I'm thinking, have her be part of my process. Romeo Katrina starts with essentially my family's refugee story. Hopefully she'll be excited. It also is a way to see if she likes my stuff before I reveal it. Hey, mom, how are you doing? Hi. Let's see, I'm gonna say some words, Matt, and you repeat it, immigration.
3: Immigration. You heard that, our
10: immigration, Vietnam. Vietnam. My mom grew up in North Vietnam. She comes to America and she's, she's met with microaggressions or maybe straight up racism. You know, people uh, slanting their eyes and singing like chung when they see you in the store. No, I don't want to accept this. I don't want to accept that this is what it's going to be like forever.
12: 30 years ago, we come to New Orleans as the refugee to escape the communists. We're now the refugee again. To escape
10: Hurricane Katrina.
11: What do you think, Mom? I think it is um, okay. Do you want to add something that uh, when we come back on? No?
10: My mom, she gave me notes, so that shows that she's invested in my work because she wants me to do better, like all moms do. They don't—they don't tell you what you want to hear; they tell you what you have to hear. Take care. I hope
7: to see you again soon.
10: Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. To see my mom getting invested, it makes me feel good. It me feel like connected to her. I'm really hopeful about Romeo and Katrina. I want her to see that I am spending my time creating beautiful things. I'm involved in things that are just, that are right, that confront anti-Asian racism and also anti-Blackness.
13: So I'm going to connect with the Raider real quick. We're supposed to connect at two, but life happens. I'm gonna see if she's available to talk real quick to discuss what we're going to do this Thursday at the community conversation. What the community conversation is it says engage the school community and others to come together and discuss the use of school resource officers in Main Cater Area Public Schools. These engagement events will be facilitated by equity specialists. This feedback will be presented to the school board in December. I heard I heard back from Stacy. And she sent me the questions that they're going to ask. They want us to tell personal stories now, I guess. So
2: they want us to relive our trauma.
13: And this is a question that trips me up with. How can schools and SROs deepen trust with all students and communities? It should just be how can schools deepen trust? Why are we adding school resource officers to that equation?
6: It sounds like they've already made up their minds. Oh my God. I feel
13: like my heart's twisting right now. I'm super scared. I'm not even. I don't know if it's scared or just nervous. They said no cameras are allowed, so I'll see you all later.
9: These police, they are in the school because of what? happened. People
8: are killing
15: kids in school. It's not true. Why are
8: police around me? I asked my son, "Do you have a problem with police?" He said, "No." I have want- one. Police stay yep. in the school because safety for our kids, teacher, community. I don't have a problem. I don't know why some people need to away the police That's cool.
13: You know how they? Okay, so you know how they refused to let me speak at the meeting because they didn't want it to be skewed a certain way or anything of the sorts, right? I show up. I see a lot of Somali parents. I see Sudanese parents. I see the administrators. They kept saying, we need police. They're doing these big drug busts. They're keeping our kids safe. And we're like, where are the big drug busts you're talking about? It's like they have these misconceptions and they're very ignorant to learning our ideas. I had one come up to me afterwards and say, I, as a young Somali girl, need to be quiet and not voice my concerns. And I need to show respect to the elders and I should not be speaking out against them. And I'm like, I'm not speaking out against y'all. I was speaking out about the police in schools. I didn't know it was this I bad. Know. I didn't know it was that. Of course I'm going to go to... I, I need to watch what the enemy is doing. I'm keeping close tabs on their heads. Oh, you got me
2: all the way messed up.
13: Oh, it was so sad. It was so sad. I was expecting white rage. I was not expecting Somali parents to come out the way they're currently coming out. We may have to... Well, we, we probably will have to re-strategize and reorganize. now that I think about it.
17: Now is the time to protect your mind and your peace with so much that's going on right now, especially in regards to racial injustices.
13: During a time when racial injustice is as prevalent as ever in our culture, we are being exposed to trauma at alarming rates. I don't want people to wait until it's too late to learn about the power of healing and mental health. I'm grateful for
6: having strategies to cope.
13: One of the few things that can simultaneously calm my anxiety and lift my mood is Hawaiian dance. For me, hula is life.
6: My yoga breathwork, and meditation practices are the self-care tools that equip me to navigate the daily struggles and microaggressions I face as a black woman in today's America.
11: Self-care for me, it looks like exercise. I get to leave my problems at the gym, and it's a great stress reliever. I think it's time for a run.
2: I create art on multiple mediums.
9: I perform. And I protect my body, and I protect my thoughts. Now is the time for community care.
13: I started the nonprofit due to some personal tragedies I endured, and I found the homeless community.
6: We provide their wants as well as their needs. We're always there to protect and serve our community. Now is the time to celebrate Black joy. Now is the time for us to revive and get more curious about who we're becoming because we have value. In a world
13: that reminds us or tries to tell us that we should not be joyous and happy, that we shouldn't even heal, it is our obligation to do that for the generations to come. Bounce
2: the drink that's We're coming for you, Lex. Bang, bang,
6: So my Republican uncle called my mom and said that I need to go into hiding because they're coming for me if Biden loses. I used to give the death threats to anyone who would listen, the FBI, anyone, and people just ignored me about it. But now I know when people really are gonna kill me. So my husband and I are sitting here deciding where we're going to go into hiding right now. What days do you have off? Thursday, the 5th, 6th, and 7th. So he has the 5th, 6th, and 7th off.
11: Lex's safety. It's something that's certainly always on my mind, even if I don't express it vocally. But I know that what Lex is doing is right.
6: I don't want you in this house after Election Day. You just want to stay here? What if they drive by the house?
0: They won't drive by the house.
6: I've never understood why he feels so safe all the time. Because I'm white. It's like a shield. (sighs) Anyway, long story short, it's just, it's stressing me out. I have to get out of town because the election is coming up and they believe that if they kill me, they will be a hero forever, because I am, I am the worst for them. I am their worst nightmare. You know, I have accepted that I might have to die, but I'm not accepting that my family has to die. You know, there's this feel in the black community that we need to be intimidated, we need to hide. But we shouldn't have to hide. We have me my gun. Thanks. I don't want to cower. I want to protect my family. My family, they are just beautiful people and they deserve to live long, happy lives. Going on a field trip. Going on a field trip, buddy. Going on a field trip, buddy.
11: This is Arts Eclectic, spotlighting arts in Austin. I'm Michael Lee. The musical Romeo and Katrina has been a work in progress for about two years, but the pandemic has delayed a full production of the piece. So, Christine, tell me a little bit more about the the musical itself. You said that you play a character that's inspired by your own mom. Is that... Is she a, a mom in the show?
10: Yeah, I play my mom, sort of. <laughs> um, I, well... Uh, Yeah. Don't all artists, don't we all try to just resolve issues from our parents?
11: So in sort of playing your mom's role instead of your own, are you sort of rewriting it at all?
10: Yeah, I think that's like, you know, I probably have to talk to my therapist about that. I have no idea. I don't know. I'm just writing what I want to write. I'm writing the world I want to live in. Okay.
9: Okay, great. Bye. Thanks, guys.
10: Um, I've been feeling like not myself fully. Family is a big theme in my work, how I'm working things out with my mom. You know, she knows that my plays deal with racism. And then she tells me I'm running towards problems. So when I told her, I was like, hey, you know, I'm supporting Black Lives Matter. I'm paraphrasing a lot. And then the first thing she was like, oh, are people going to be shooting guns? Are we going to be looting businesses? That's the first thing she went to was the most fearful place she could go.
14: I see this a lot with the Vietnamese um, community, especially older generations, is that with the Black Lives Matter movement, it's highly traumatic and triggering. If you've lived through war and you've gone through immigration trauma, risk taking seems like a really bad idea and not realizing that those two things are different. They're different kinds of risks.
10: Yeah, she's just like black or white.
14: Your homework is just to like, be really proud of yourself for getting to this point. Owning your decision and allowing the good feelings to just stay with you.
10: Therapy is helping. my therapist says things directly. She says things that I wish, I guess I wish my mom would say. But my mom never had anybody tell her these things so directly.
9: This is my husband, Zouette's
10: My mom, she's complicated because she had a very complicated life.
9: And this is my parents, both of
10: them deceased. I like my mom's approval, no matter how old you get. My show is two days away. I want her to enjoy the show. I think that'll be a really special thing to see.
7: Now is the time to teach the truth. Now is the
13: time for education for liberation and it is time to decolonize educational institutions.
10: I was a young black kid that was homeschooled. The curriculum that we used was very whitewashed. And I can't even imagine how my life even would have been impacted had my parents known more about history, had it been taught to them in the way that it should have been. I'm an eighth grade English teacher. One of the things I'm doing to establish change for students is ask them, how might we be drawn to or told certain narratives that aren't true. So I start asking them, what are the single stories you've heard about Hawaii? And they all have a ton of stories. It's all palm trees. Everyone thinks we live in grass huts. And I take that and I start bringing that understanding to, "Okay, what are the single stories we've been told about the Black community, about immigrants and the Latinx community?
5: During my time in high school, I was quiet and ignored the hateful comments made by my peers and administrators. I wanted to educate my former administrators about the pain and suffering that Black, Indigenous, and people of color have been facing.
7: I decided to start an organization called Diversify Our Narrative. Diversify Our Narrative is an organization committed to racial justice through educational reform.
8: Here at the University of Mary Washington, I oversee the social justice teachings. Each semester, we promote anti-racist education.
10: We are here to ensure that our future generations they can grow up in a country where they can learn about their lives and their struggles and their points of view of this country.
13: I've organized with several alumni to advocate for our high school to implement anti-racist education and policies. We call ourselves Alumni for Change and what we seek is for our alma mater to be an inclusive place for all students. So that someday
1: when we say that all students will succeed, all students will succeed.
10: I am hopeful we're on the cusp of a new beginning. We're
13: going to be trained student ambassadors. It's going to be really quick, hopefully. After the first community conversation, we decided to get a few student ambassadors to kind of help further
5: our cause. I'm Kyla. I'm Olivia. I'm a sophomore at West. That's kind of (laughs) it.
7: Yeah, I'm Matilda, also a sophomore at West. I'm Maddie,
17: also a sophomore at West. (laughs) (laughs)
13: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all so much for coming. This is going to be kind of like a one-on-one, what we've been doing on Ignite and how you guys can help. We need you to bring along your friends, your classmates, your neighbors, your parents, and et cetera. We need you present to add the community conversations that are currently occurring. We need to organize to the best of our ability because now we finally have a vote coming to the table.
5: This work is important to me because black and brown students should never have to live in fear. They should never have to feel anxious or scared to go down the hallways in their learning space. I personally
10: do not think school resource officers are needed in high schools. And I think that that money can be spent in different ways. More mental health resources and resources for special ed kids.
13: Board members are gonna be at this meeting. So it is very important we speak up and hit on the points
5: on each of these papers. And don't let them make it about the person, make it about the image of a police officer in schools and the intimidation that happens for those students. I was just going to say another point is when they go in, they don't take that badge off and see a fight and break
14: it up because that's that social emotional learning. They're doing it because they they see it as a criminal act.
5: As a future educator, I felt it was very important for me to become involved and passionate about this topic um, and to be an advocate for not only the students here in Mankato, but for my future students.
13: These are students who are still growing. Half of them aren't even 18 yet, so we need to continuously hit on that, that they don't need police. They need more counselors, more social and emotional learning. So we need more of that instead of police just stand around and do nothing. Let's go! Right? We gotta, we're gonna head into the auditorium um, for the students to go here, if you guys can lead the way.
5: The community conversation went pretty well. I think the students, for the most part, felt fairly heard, and the adults that were in there were listening. Um, But at the end of the day, it all just has to do with the actions that they take after.
13: So we heavily dominated that heavily dominated it. A lot of the students that were there that were recruited, they ended up really liking it, which is like, yeah, like we need to get fired up. A lot of the community members that were there, they're like, let us know where else we can go and how else we can help. So that was very exciting and helpful. I'm ecstatic with the turnout on this one. Like we, we were there and I loved it.
8: I'm a direct descendant. Of the fellow behind me,
12: General John Brown Gordon of the Confederate Army, it's time to take them down and hand over the keys to a new set of leaders.
13: Now is the time to take down Confederate
1: monuments. Yeah. They excite me, Growing up in the South and seeing these Confederate statues all around, constant reminders that
11: you are less than. A lot of people just ready for the whole thing to get over and down with. We'd had a massive demonstration at the Confederate Monument downtown, demanding that it be removed. We all felt that what was needed was a new symbol that people could rally around. Now is the time to get engaged. The call goes out for artists to positively impact the city.
14: As artists, it's important to highlight what's going
9: on in society right now.
8: Art has been really a way for me just to get my voice out there.
9: I find myself looking around uh, cities that have a lot of art and I don't see myself. I am painting um, Mary and Jesus and I am painting them with brown skin.
8: I hope that my actions, protesting, artwork, can help in the work of protecting and defending the humanity of the oppressed and restore a sense of humanity in the hearts of their oppressors.
0: Now is the time to participate
8: and take action in rewriting history.
9: Now is the time for us to decide what we want our legacy to be.
8: It's been a long time coming for us to be out and be able to speak freely, monthly, to come together, instead of falling
6: apart. Hey guys, don't mind my background. I'm in a hotel. I'm in hiding. All right, we have Suzanne. We were receiving a few death threats there. So we went into hiding for two days because we thought once they announced the election results for um, Biden winning, that if they were going to follow through on their death threats, that we should be out of town. So we just waited for two days. Nothing happened. So we drove back home. Let's look up the election results.
9: You scared? I'm scared. Let's move this over
6: here. All right. Can we see this? Don't like that. Um, i just found out that tab uno lost 62 to 38 um percent i don't know what was i hoping um to describe how hard this movement is. <sighs> this movement is just pain. <laughs> it's just pain. It's pain every day. Ah. Uh... It is Groundhog Day around here. We relive the same nightmare over and over, but you can't just give up. You have to keep trying. Thank you, I'm gonna hug her, I'm gonna hug her. So every day in January, Black Lives Matter will be on Capitol Hill so that when those votes come up, there will be an army there watching you while you vote because at the end of the day, we're not going to back down until we get real, meaningful police reform. I'm hoping this cut to somebody.
13: A friend of mine was, was driving down the street and she saw our last receptionist for the counseling center. She went up and talked to her. She's like, oh my God, are you part of the group that's trying to push to get police out of schools? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, the, the Anissa and all of them are trying to get police out of schools, like, can you believe
6: it? When this issue first came up, I was very much against it because of my own interactions with the SROs and having a child in crisis and how useful they were. But after speaking with friends and Other people in the community, I'm completely on the fence right now.
12: Let's not forget about some of those great things we've heard that these law enforcement officers do within our schools. How many of them become uh, de facto counselors or uh, confidants for our students? Our
4: oldest son has special needs, and we've greatly appreciated the relationships that he has built with the SROs. Also recognize that people have had very different lived experiences, and so... Um, you know, it may be time for us to take a look at the SRO model and see how best we can serve um, all kids in the school.
13: I had a child go through Mankato East who had always had a tough time in school. And I owe Officer Mortensen a lot of credit. He had a lot to do with getting our kid through school
17: and to graduate. Saying, well, I had a really great experience with this resource officer should not counter the abuse and negative effect to their education that the students are voicing. As a white person, I'm very interested in the language that other white people use to create a bubble for themselves that leads them to not really perceiving racism as a legitimate concern. I do feel a bit in-
13: uncomfortable because I do have a uniform and gun. And as the vote is coming near, I am excited and, I'm also scared because I really want the SROs to not be in schools anymore. We just have one confirmed vote and three maybes. We are hoping board members who seem to be on the fence vote to remove resource officers. As of now, I'm feeling very nervous because like November flew by and basically now we're going to get a decision
12: thank you mr chair members of the board this is a roll call vote if you would please yes
7: no no
12: yes
6: no yes yes thank you very much
13: motion carries on a four three vote this evening In a three to four vote, the contract was renewed with minor changes like the police officer will be removed from the middle school. I refuse to celebrate the removal of one police knowing the other two schools are suffering. I am disappointed, but not surprised. I'm very excited about what we have been able to do. We're able to question the legitimacy of having police in schools. We as young individuals did that. These systems are not as strong as we perceive them to be. As Dr. Cornell West says a lot, it's try again, fail again, fail again better. So keeping that hope and letting the oppressors know that they cannot take that away from us, that we can imagine a better world. We will continue to organize, and we will accomplish
10: this. Today is Romeo and Katrina show day, and I have my mom showing up. I want her to approve it. Okay, we're going to do this thing. How does she show approval in my choice of friends, of relationships? I know that she likes them if she invites them into her home. Starts in one minute.
2: It's been three years since
10: the levee broke. It's been
2: three years since
15: the flood why do you always put Baz's face down when?
10: Time to eat. Look at all the good food I make for you. Something, something more. Something,
11: something more I think we really created something that was really beautiful. And we see in the chat there are people who are really identifying with these characters, they're identifying with the city, they're identifying with the culture. Uh, and and they would not have had the opportunity to see themselves that way if Christine had cowered away from mm-hmm. telling her truth. And so it's so important as young artists that we tell our truth and, and, and that we don't let anyone talk us out of that.
10: My brother and my mom are Zooming in from New Orleans, West Bank, New Orleans. Hello. That's my mom. Hi, mom. Hi. What did you think?
9: Um, this is a wonderful program. I watch each actors and I on you. Thank you so much. Um, I wish you
8: had a chance to come to New Orleans and I will bring you to the seafood
10: restaurant. <laughs> Did y'all catch how she showed her love? At the end, she told people that they need to come to New Orleans, they need to enjoy the city. She shows me that she approves of what I do and the, the friends that I get together. Okay, you can run. I haven't written Act 2 And I've been thinking about this. When Romeo tells his mom that Trina is black, how does mom respond? She'll tell him that life will be more difficult, that you will have to fight every day. And is that love worth fighting for? And when Romeo says yes, I think mom will say, then I will fight with you. It's Romeo, Trina, and now Romeo's mom against the world. They don't have to do it by themselves because we will all fight with them because love is worth fighting for, right?
13: I really wasn't sure about my role in this entire movement as an Asian American but I noticed that in my own community, there were many implicit biases that we all hold. So this is something that I realized we were taught at a young age, and my whole goal is to dispel and unlearn these biases. What I do is I create artivism, and what this is, is art plus activism. I've contributed what I can as an artist to teach others about what it means to be privileged, how to be anti-racist actively, and to be more self-aware about our implicit biases. Now is the time to stand together. Now is the time, especially, to take into account other
5: people's struggles and understand where we can help and say, I'll stand with you.
6: It's been really hard. And I've lost friends and family members because I've started speaking up about racism online. This journey of learning and uprooting racism is going to be a lifelong process. So we can't let fear of saying the wrong thing or not knowing what to do keep us from speaking up or acting out.
10: I never expected that I would be an active participant in the movement for racial justice. I attended the March on
7: Washington and recently joined my school's prison outreach program. Some of the ways that Christians for Social Action are working to stand with the anti-racist movement include our seminar and webinar series on breaking cycles of racism. We also lead a pilgrimage to the National Museum of African-American History and Culture to look at the intersection between faith and the justice movement.
13: Now is the time to stand with
9: each other. We can make a difference and we stand together and be unified.
13: Before all lives matter, black lives must matter. And I am really proud to stand here as an
4: ally.
2: Black lives Matter! Black lives matter.
6: Black lives matter. Black lives matter. I am heartbroken by the deaths, the beatings, the racism experienced by black Americans every day. What need to change and stop
9: killing. Stop killing, bro. That's it. One black period, stop killing.
2: We're not even asking anymore.
6: We are demanding. It's not about race anymore. It's not about any of that. It's about people. Like nobody deserves for their life to be taken. Don't
2: I stand in
8: front of you knowing that every police officer ain't bad, but that don't mean that we don't address the bad
3: outcomes.
11: This is not over, we're not stopping until we get justice, okay?
3: That's behind me. That's in front of me.
2: I have a father.
9: I don't want them to be next. of racism
13: is preventing us from imagining a world without racists but today we have to envision
9: a different world where black lives matter every day
1: Black Church has been the root of the most celebrated aspects of black culture. Gospel music is about the majesty of Jesus. It sets the tone
9: for how you will feel when the word comes forth. It's such a distinct
0: flavor of music.
2: It's something about those songs that brings joy.
1: The Black Church, to year stream Tuesday, February 16th at 9, 8 Central, only on PBS.
9: Help your child learn at home with PBS Kids. Together, explore reading, math and science, life lessons and more right alongside your favorite characters on TV and anytime on the PBS Kids 24-7 channel. And we offer free resources to help with at-home learning. Visit pbskids.org for educational tips, lessons and hands-on activities. Also, sign up to receive even more information by email. Discover lots of fun tools and ideas to keep your child engaged. Learn at home with PBS Kids.
12: The case against Donald Trump. Donald Trump surrendered his role as commander-in-chief and became the inciter-in-chief. House managers make the case Donald Trump incited a mob to storm the U.S. Capitol, jeopardizing the lives of his own vice president and the Democratic leadership. ...and brutalizing law enforcement. I think most Republicans found the presentation offensive and absurd. With conviction in the Senate unlikely, what about the court of public opinion? The House Democrats hate Donald Trump. Did Trump lawyers make the case that the former president is not responsible for the insurrection?
0: We just want law and order. Next. This is Washington Week.
12: Good evening and welcome to Washington Week. I'm Jonathan Carl. This week, the horrific sights and sounds of January 6th echoed through the very Senate chamber that was ransacked by rioters just five weeks ago. The House impeachment managers did more than make their case against Donald Trump. They've documented in vivid and excruciating detail what happened on that day a minute-by-minute account of the deadly insurrection, including never-seen-before footage of the mob invading the Capitol, brutally attacking the police, threatening revenge on members of Congress, and even the execution of the vice president. And the managers outlined exactly what Donald Trump did before the riot and what he failed to do after it started.
9: He assembled the mob, he summoned the mob,
11: and he incited the mob.
9: First and second in line to the presidency, President Trump put a target on their backs and his mob broke into the Capitol to hunt them
3: down.
12: Can our country and our democracy ever be the same if we don't hold accountable the person responsible for inciting the violent attack against our country? While some Senate Republicans appeared shaken by the manager's presentation, few, if any, seemed to have changed their minds. Trump's legal team argued that the trial itself is unconstitutional, that anything the president said is protected by the First Amendment, and that responsibility for what happened lies solely with the rioters themselves. It is constitutional cancel culture. Hatred
1: and anger has led House managers to ignore their own words and actions, and set a dangerous
12: double standard. Countless politicians have spoken of fighting for our principles. No human being seriously believes that the use of such metaphorical terminology is incitement to political violence. Tonight, we have the reporters who have been in the middle of it all, covering the insurrection and the impeachment trial, writing the first draft of history. Rachel Bade, co-author of Politico Playbook, Julie Pace, Washington bureau chief for the Associated Press. Phil Rucker, senior Washington correspondent for The Washington Post. And my colleague, Rachel Scott, congressional correspondent for ABC News. Rachel Scott, let's get right into it. You were there at the Capitol on January 6th, surrounded by the mob. Did the impeachment managers capture the horror of what you yourself witnessed?
17: John, I got to tell you, I remember leaving that day on January 6th and thinking to myself, it could have been much worse. And as I watched those videos that we've never seen before, I thought I barely even knew the half of it. It was traumatizing, it was gut wrenching, and it was the first time that so many of these lawmakers saw just how close. They got to the violence. And I remember a Democratic aide texting me in the middle of that 13-minute-long video that played on the very first day of the trial and said, if you're outraged, that is the point. They felt like this video would move the needle, would change minds. And it opened up the mind of uh, Senator Bill Cassidy. He ended up changing his vote, voting for the trial to move forward. But as you said there in the open, few, if any, Republicans uh, were really swayed. Many of them still feel like this trial is unconstitutional.
12: Uh, Rachel Bade, you know how much the senators uh, kind of treasure their desks and how, how that is seen as kind of sacred territory, the Senate floor. I thought what was uh, really striking was how they opened the trial. They got right to this, those rioters there in the Senate chamber, rifling through the desks of the senators. Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, I mean, clearly the managers sort of make this calculation that they could make this personal appeal to Senate Republicans who lived through this as well, just like Democrats. But the interesting thing about this whole trial is that a lot of Senate Republicans, while perhaps publicly not saying how they'll vote, uh, were looking for an excuse to sort of vote to acquit. I mean, we had been reporting even before this trial began on private calls uh, between Senate Republicans, where a lot of them were saying, you know, how can we get out of this? Can we, Mitch McConnell, can you go to the Supreme Court and say this trial is unconstitutional and stop it in its tracks? McConnell responded that he he wouldn't and he couldn't. Um, But the reality is the Republican base right now is behind President Trump. And so a lot of these senators, we've heard them come out this week, um, leave the chamber, and say the managers were very effective in their presentations. A lot of them are expressing that they were very impressed with the Democrats, uh, Jamie Raskin, the lead manager. But is it really going to make a difference? I mean, they need 17 Senate Republicans to vote uh, to convict Trump to actually have that conviction. It's very unlikely to happen. And again, it just goes back to the politics. A lot of people are looking at this through a very political lens.
12: But but Julie, when you look at their presentation, they they, clearly the managers, I think in stark contrast to the first impeachment trial of Donald Trump, uh, tried to speak to those Republican senators. But there is also something much bigger at stake here than what the final whip count, the final vote count will be on on acquittal or conviction. Uh, They were also speaking to the country and speaking to history, weren't they?
16: And I think that's really important to make clear here. You know, impeachment is inherently a political process, so politics will clearly guide the votes of many of these Republicans. But this was about something much more than, than laying down a marker on Donald Trump's future. This is about this moment in this country. And and even though it feels like in some ways that this riot was so long ago, it was just a few weeks ago. And this is a really seminal moment for the country. And the forces that we saw that were guiding those rioters to storm the Capitol, they are very much still out there. The the fervor that we saw, the willingness of people to be taken in by false attacks on this election, by lies about this election, that exists. And so the Democrats feel like they have to really hone in on the emotion of that day really make clear to people just how dangerous this was, regardless of whether it ultimately changes the minds of Republican senators or not.
12: And we'll have a a vote, Phil, tomorrow on witnesses. It seems all but certain there'll be no witnesses uh, in this trial. But there kind of needs at some point to be an even more, I mean, a much more detailed accounting. There's still basic questions we don't know. I, I guess the one that's in the top of my mind is, what was Donald Trump doing inside the White House for the first hours that this riot was underway. I mean, Phil, that, that's something, you know, you would have liked to have seen Mark Meadows called as a witness, for instance, or other White House officials.
11: Yeah, John, that's exactly right, and those are questions that senators asked Uh, of Trump's impeachment lawyers uh, today in this trial, and the lawyers were unable to provide an answer. And there's been detailed, rigorous reporting in the news media about how Trump spent that day, and yet there still has not been a minute-by-minute TikTok accounting of when did he find out about the siege, when did he find out that his vice president uh, was under attack, and, and when was he getting those phone calls from people like Senator Lindsey Graham? When did Ivanka Trump come into the Oval Office to try to plead with him? Uh, to try to tell his people to stand down. All of the decision points uh, and, and the activity of the president in the Oval Office and in his private study, watching this on television, the public should know about, and especially the details relating to the vice president. Uh, when did the president, as commander in chief, know that his own vice president was under threat, and how long did it take before he did anything?
12: And, and you know, I mean, among those potential witnesses, I mean, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, been reporting out there. And I've certainly talked to Republicans uh, in the House who, who talk about McCarthy getting in a screaming match with the president as he was getting evacuated from the Capitol, pleading with him. Uh, and McCarthy has said some of this publicly, uh, pleading with him to get out there and call off the rioters. I mean, you, you, could, have, you could have Kevin McCarthy as, as, a, as a witness here. And, and I imagine if there is a further inquiry, we'll, we'll have to be asked questions about that as well. So- That's exactly right. And so much of this
11: process should be about the truth and, and bringing the truth to the public. Remember, after major moments of national crisis like 9-11, there have been extensive investigations designed to sort of bring a factual uh, narrative uh, to the public's attention. And and while the House impeachment managers put together the narrative as best they could based on the resources they had, which was mainly social media posts and and video feeds and news reporting, uh, there has not been that, that oral history history, the the interviews with the people who were in the room to really provide the full accounting.
12: Clearly, that has to happen. Getting back to the trial, the House managers argued that President Trump both incited the riot and refused to stop it, even as he certainly should have known what was going on. They cited both his actions in the days leading up to the riot. This pro-Trump insurrection did not spring into life out of thin air. We saw how Trump spent months cultivating America's most dangerous extremist groups, We saw how he riled them up with corrosive lies and violent rhetoric, so much so that they were ready and eager for their most dangerous mission, invalidating the will of the people to keep Donald Trump in office. And his push on January 6th to get Vice President Mike Pence to stop the electoral count. Mike Pence, I hope you're going to stand up for the good of our Constitution and for the good of our country. And if you're not, I'm going to be very disappointed in you. I will tell you right now. The manager showed Pence being evacuated from the Senate chamber and the mob calling on him, calling for him to be hanged. So, Julie, we we knew about the mob. We knew about the calls uh, to hang Mike Pence. But we learned something new in this trial. We saw just how close that mob came to actually getting him.
16: Absolutely. I mean, that was one of the things that was so striking about this is just seeing just how close this was to the vice president, the second in command of this country. To also see, I think, the way that the rioters were very clearly targeting, trying to get after Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. And also the other thing I thought was so powerful about these videos is is really the audio, actually hearing the words of these rioters and seeing just how directly motivated they were by these false attacks on the election. There was a feeling among some of those rioters that they actually were going to be able to go and stop this process. They were actually going to be able to go and stop Joe Biden from being certified as the winner of this election. And that is directly linked to the attacks that Donald Trump was making for weeks and months beyond the rally that he had just uh, hours before the riot. This had been a pretty calculated process for for Trump to try to build this kind of fervor among his supporters. And we see where it led.
12: You know, I had a meeting with Donald Trump a few weeks after the mass shootings in 2019 in El Paso and Dayton, uh, and I brought up to him his rhetoric about journalists. Uh, I said I wrote, wrote about this in, in, in my book. I, I told him uh, that, his, that some crazy person uh, could take his words to heart when he talks about the press as the enemy of the people. Uh, that that somebody could take his words to heart. And I I, I urged him to to change that rhetoric. This was a meeting in the Oval Office. And his answer, I thought of, as we saw this all unfold, and it really, uh, it was haunting. He told me, I hope people take my words to heart. And I I don't think he meant that he wanted people to literally, you know, go out and act and take out enemies of the people. But it's almost, Rachel Scott, you, you, you covered so many of these. You covered the Trump campaign. You were at countless rallies before uh, 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 you know, Trump rallies during the course of the, of the campaign. I almost get a sense that he, he never is able to comprehend or, or deal with the fact that people could act on what he is saying, could take him literally and act on what he's saying.
17: Yeah. And and John, I really do think back to some of those rallies. I was at the rally when uh, President Trump suggested that four congresswomen of color should go back to where they came from and then heard thousands of people inside of that arena chant, send her back. They hang on his every word. And when I covered the riots, that deadly insurrection here on January 6th, that's what I thought about. It felt a little bit like a Trump rally. And they were echoing every single claim. They felt like they were there because they were defending the president of the United States. And I also thought that was so compelling in the House impeachment manager's case here because they were playing back his supporters' words in which they were, they were saying, no, we felt like President Trump wanted us to storm the United States Capitol. They were using his own supporters' words against him in those moments, but still his team firing back today and saying he didn't incite the riot, that those people that broke inside the Capitol right here did, did it on their own accord, that they did it without former President Donald Trump. But there is no denying just how much of an effect that he has on his supporters. They listen to everything that he says.
12: But, but Phil, one argument that uh, the defense team made is that, uh, you know, Trump has spoken like this for five years. In fact, the managers uh, brought up uh, things that he had said back in, you know, the, the early stages of the campaign as far back as 2015. Um, and we never saw something like this. So what? What? I mean, what is different here? Why? I mean, you know, Trump has talked about uh, about you know getting your country back, and they're trying to steal your country. He's talked about uh, voter fraud even before the election actually happened. Um, so what, what? What different happened here? Did the, did the managers kind of establish that?
17: And I think that was the challenge.
11: What? For- yeah, what the House, uh, what the Democratic House managers established was they 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 built this whole foundation that Trump had laid over the course of of many months, dating back to the summer of twenty twenty before the election, that he was predicting there would be widespread election fraud, even though there was no evidence of that. Then he was predicting that the mail in ballots would be fraudulent, even though there was no evidence of that. And then, of course, after the election day after day after day in his public comments and in his tweets on social media, claiming that the election had been stolen, claiming it was rigged, claiming... Uh, that there was all of this fraud and that he had actually won in a landslide. None of that is true, but it creates the context uh, through which those, uh, the, the rioters, the, the demonstrators, gathered on January 6th here in Washington. And, and that's where that anger and that violence and that organized insurrection, uh, that's what it was motivated by. That's the case that the Democratic House managers made.
12: I mean, in some ways, Julie, it it seemed to me that this was a shocking event, of course, January 6th, but it wasn't entirely surprising uh, because Donald Trump had been calling for something like this uh, for a long time. And now finally, his supporters really took him at his word.
16: And one of the things that I think was, was pretty disingenuous in the case that his lawyers were making was this idea that he has been saying some of these things for so long, because actually there's been some concern for quite some time, and you mentioned it, John, in your conversation with him, there has been a lot of concern about what the impact of his rhetoric would be. And just because we hadn't seen something like this before didn't mean that that, concerns, that concern had been alleviated. And so there was almost, even though it was so incredible to watch that riot unfold in real time and and really almost unbelievable to see this happen at the U.S. Capitol, there there was this sense that something like this was inevitable, that this had been building for so long that we were we were due to reach a boy point which we of course did
12: and and Senator uh, McConnell had some of his strongest words against Donald Trump and what he was saying about the election before the riot when he when he went on the Senate floor and uh, and and talked about how we have to finally acknowledge that that this election is done and that Joe Biden is the is the uh, is the president-elect he has also told his Republican colleagues that this is a vote of conscience this vote on impeachment but 44 Republican senators have voted to end the trial. They did it twice. They did it before the trial even started. And most of them all, as we have discussed, seemed poised to vote not guilty again. So, Rachel Bade, my question to you. You wrote something uh, uh, very interesting and very provocative this morning. You said, uh, effectively, there's not, it's not impossible that Mitch McConnell could surprise everybody. He hasn't ruled out voting guilty. I think. I think most people would be shocked if he did. But you're saying there's a chance?
7: Well, look, uh, if I'm a betting person, if you're a betting person, I definitely wouldn't put any money on this. (laughs) Um, But I think the reality here is if you talk to Senate Republicans who are very close to McConnell, they will even tell you that they don't know what he's going to do. He hasn't been telling them. He hasn't been signaling which way he's leaning. If you watch him in the trial, he barely moves, He barely blinks. He's got his hands in his laps. He doesn't take notes. And he's just been very quiet. And we know you we said this, we were talking before the show, uh, McConnell, more than any other Republican wants Trump to be gone. He thinks he's bad for the Republican party. He accused him of, you know, provoking the, the uh, January six riots said that in no uncertain terms. McConnell is also 78 years old and he perhaps is in the twilight of his career in legacy mode. Uh, what does he want to be remembered by? Um, perhaps this is his moment where he does something that is surprising. And, you know, as somebody who's covered him, uh, if you go read his memoir. He talks very fondly about his idols. Um, Henry Clay, the great compromiser who tried to keep the union together before the Civil War, a senator who broke with his constituents to support the Civil Rights Act, even when his constituents were pro-segregationists. He talks very fondly of these Republican leaders who, um, you know, had this vote of conscience at one point or another uh, to take a stand. And so I I agree with pretty much every Republican on, or I'm sorry, every um, congressional reporter on the Hill saying that this is very unlikely. Uh, But it's just really different from the last impeachment where McConnell was whipping people behind the scenes. You knew how he was going to vote and he's been very quiet. Uh, So we'll just have to see. Uh, Right now, we think there are probably going to be about five Senate Republicans that vote to convict. But behind the scenes, I mean, there are Senate Republicans who are predicting there could be more and McConnell could be on that list. We just don't know.
12: And by the way, if there are five or four Senate Republicans uh, that, that vote uh, to convict, that will be uh, smashing the record uh, for the most uh, uh, senators of a president's party voting to convict in, in an impeachment trial. In fact, we never saw it happen once until last year when Mitt Romney uh, voted guilty on, on, on one of those counts. Uh, but, but let me ask you, uh, uh, Rachel Scott, the question of Is there anything else they can do? So if the Republicans who have, by and large, not defended Donald Trump's actions on on January 6th, uh, they don't want to vote to uh, convict him in a Senate trial, making the case it's unconstitutional, is there any sense of any movement to try to do something else, to be on record, censure, something, uh, uh, to say that, uh, as an official part of the record, that they condemn what he did?
17: Yeah, well, Senator John Thune today, the number two Republican senator, said that he would possibly maybe be open to the idea of censure. I know that is something that Democrats have floated before, and they have to get some agreement on the language, on the idea of the resolution. Uh, But at this point, I think it still remains to be seen, and clearly the Republican Party is struggling with their identity going forward, even thinking about to Republican leader Kevin McCarthy at first placing some of the blame on President Trump for what happened there and then flying to Florida to go meet and have lunch with him just a few days before the trial started. I mean, it's clear that they're trying to figure out what to do. And so much of that hinges on what Trump wants to do. And frankly, as you know, John, from covering him so extensively, nobody knows what Trump is going to do until Trump decides that himself. And I think so much of the future of what the Republican Party does, and especially in these moments following this trial, will hinge on what Trump wants to do as well.
12: All right. Well, let's take it to that. Trump's future. Uh, We saw a very intriguing uh, article about Nikki Haley Uh, in Politico by Tim Alberta, very long article, gets into some of the very contradictory things Haley has said about Donald Trump over time. But of course, she served uh, in his administration. She has very rarely criticized him, uh, considered uh, a potential presidential candidate, maybe even a leading presidential candidate. And look what she said to Tim Alberta on on January 12th, just published today. We need to acknowledge he, Donald Trump, let us Republicans down. He went down a path we shouldn't have, and we shouldn't have followed him, and we shouldn't have listened to him, and we can't let that ever happen again. Now, Phil, unclear whether or not Nikki Haley still believes that. Uh, Again, this was an interview she did a few weeks ago. But how widespread is that view among Republicans that they cannot listen to Donald Trump, they cannot follow Donald Trump's lead anymore?
11: You know, the interesting thing, John, is I think if you were to do a silent survey of Republican elected officials, you would find many of them uh, in agreement with Nikki Haley, but you would probably find very few of them willing to say so uh, on the record and by name. And that's because Donald Trump remains. Uh, the dominant force in the Republican Party. He has widespread support among Republican voters, according to virtually any uh, poll and survey. The, The question, however, will be what kind of role will Trump have going forward? He's been canceled effectively on social media. He's lost uh, that platform and that ability to speak out hour by hour and inject himself into the news cycle. He has told advisors he's determined to play kind of a kingmaker role uh, in the next election cycle in the 2022 midterms. He of course uh, has talked uh, and mused about maybe running for president again in 2024, although many people around uh, him have told me they think that's very unlikely. But nonetheless, he could be a big force. He could also just uh, disappear and you could see the Republican Party re build uh, in his wake. And there's going to be real competition among Haley and and many others, dozens of other uh, leaders around the country, governors, senators, members of Congress, even mayors who are going to want to have a stake in that future.
12: And I suspect, uh, Phil, whatever the, the kind of long-term plans are, that as soon as this is over and if he is acquitted, he will want to get out there uh, pretty quickly <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and declare himself vindicated. <laughs> yeah. All right, that is all the time we have tonight. I want to thank Rachel Bade, Julie Pace, Phil Rucker, and Rachel Scott. Thank you for your reporting, and thank you for joining us, taking the time to join us at the end of what has been a, a very busy and truly historic week. The conversation continues on Washington Week Extra, which streams live on our website and social media. Join us for a conversation on President Biden's agenda and his efforts to fight the COVID 19 pandemic. I'm Jonathan Carl. Good night from Washington.
0: Good morning and good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are, God is still in control. We're in the studios in the early morning hours as we mix and uh, put together news clippings and information from the last several days here in America. Um, It is a powerful thing to witness and be a part of what is happening in America and to know that Jesus Christ, God Almighty, is still in control, and that the human being in which God created, the pinnacle of his creation, is um, good, bad, and ugly. Everything God made is good. The key to what's going on in this country is the infiltration of sin in all of our lives and uh, our ability to do what is right in spite of the onslaught of Satan. That's a part of all of us that want us to do evil. We just witnessed it in this country in the last election, and we've been witnessing it ever since that we have been in the world. God is still in control and He has everything in His hand. For those of you that are feeling discouraged and uh, feel that your world is coming to an end, just keep your hands in God's hand. Keep your faith, keep working, keep helping, keep loving. Teach your children about what is right. Follow God's words from his guide, the Bible, Jesus made flesh, who came down through 42 generations, that we may be have a right to the tree of life. We are going to go for about another hour in this three-hour broadcast, and we hope that you will be able to gain the courage to do what is right, live right, treat people right and walk in the path which God has laid for you through his Holy Spirit, the creator, who is here to comfort us and guide us on this journey through this world. COVID-19 has killed over 400,000 people and has continued to kill. Um, Be safe, be aware who we are as human beings, um, do not be discouraged by what others are doing. Do not get caught up on the great lie of racism. Be like Christ. Love and care for all. Be like Jesus at the well with, as he talked to the Samaritan Mormon. We thank you all for being here with us. Let us continue with... Uh, um tonight's this morning's uh February the sixteenth radio broadcast. Good evening, good morning, whatever time it is, wherever you are, welcome to House and Gospel Block Club Radio, coming to even two thirty one, six seventy down in South Piatas, Alabama. Enjoy. Travel to the 11th annual gospel conference and showcase is surely Shoemate Records Promotion Ministry. Shoemate Records Promotion Ministry, which presented the 11th annual gospel conference and showcase, is two days, uh, November the 9th and November the 10th. And we had an opportunity to participate in the event on Saturday, November the 10th. It started at 10:30 in the morning, and we were there up until about 5:30 or 6 o'clock. I had a great time um, at the Bayou Wesley uh, Church, there on the 12th, 330 Irvington and Bayou, the Battery Highway in Irvington, Alabama, South Mobile, Alabama, where you can get in touch with us at 251 229 8660 or 251 366 5006. You can reach her at um, Singing Praise. Uh, 55 at yahoo.com or www.shoemateministries.com and at that event we had the opportunity to meet a gentleman by the name of uh, Flory Robertson Flyery Robinson, and he's an awesome singer and uh, he put his CD in my hand and we're going to add it to rotations as well uh, they opened up uh, the end of the morning session uh, with Grateful. And um, on the CD, he has an instrumental version of Grateful, Worship Thee, uh, God Said, uh, Worship Thee acoustic version, and Worship Thee instrumental version. All of these um, versions of Flyer uh, Robinson's CD, God Said. And the powerful song on there is the song, Grateful, which he sung at the end of this morning session. Again, we welcome him to Housey Sebring Gospel Blog Talk Radio, and we continue to add him to our rotation and continue to play his music. Sit back and relax and enjoy. Mr. Favre Robinson, singing the song, Grateful. 904-701-9 904-701 9 I'm sorry 3608 One more time 904 701 3608 That's Flory Robinson. Stay with us there's more coming your way here on House You Night Gospel Blog Talk Radio Should des... they and soulful, engaging voice of worship, praise. He's spreading the message of faith. He was born in Paris, France through a military family. He gives a shout-out giving thanks to his wife, Renee Robinson, who's always been there for me. My children, Apostle Ray Campbell, Troy Sneed, Kenny Andrews, and special thanks to my family and friends. Again, this is House of Gospel Block Talk Radio, new artist and rotation, Mr. Flyery Robinson, CD. God said, you want to book him, you can call 904-701-3608. Or you can reach him by Gmail at Flyer Robinson at gmail.com. Or you can go straight to booking floweryrobison at gmail.com. Thank you, Mr. Flyry Robinson. We hope that we will be doing an interview with him coming up shortly. We did talk to him at the conference there in um, Lyle battery at the uh, Wesleyan Church there. And uh, we hope that you will be listening to him. This will be aired here on House of the Gospel Blocked already and added to our rotation. Again, thank you. Clary Robinson. Here on House of the Gospel, Blog Talk Radio. It's about 3.30 in the morning as we continue to prep for this morning's broadcast on House of Production Gospel, Blog Talk Radio. We're located at 231 6th Avenue down south in the big city of Beatrice, Alabama. You can find us all over the internet. All you have to do is type in the hashtag H-O-W-C-E-E on behalf of us. Thank you all for your continued support here on House of the Gospel. Blog Talk Radio. You can also find us on Facebook, the Beatrice radio station there, located at 231 6th Avenue, down south here in Beatrice, Alabama. More coming your way. Stay with us. Make sure you join us also for the National Association of Black Defenders broadcast as well as we talk about human rights versus civil rights and many other issues dealing with this country and this place we live in. Faith without work is dead. There's work for all of us to do. You can make a difference. Be that difference which you seek. I want to give a special shout-out to Gwyneth Cowles for her powerful black history from Monroe County. Thanks, Gwen great job you'll listen to house evening gospel blog talk radio company 231 6th avenue on south of Alabama. Alabama. we hope everything is going well for you god is still in control Go to the throne, our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, amen. Stay with us as we continue with more good gospel music. We got the Ancholos coming up, uh, we got some Lee Williams, we got. That I've gained Jesus. This is by the fabulous praise gospel singers. I want to thank Daryl J for sending them my way. Out of my way. blessing you with gospel music in spite of what's going on in the world. This is our task here at House of the Gospel Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your support. I've been
2: out on the ocean I looked out on the stormy sea
0: This is one of my favorite gospel groups, the Bolton Brothers, out of Mobile, Alabama. They have such a powerful and spiritual sound. From the spiritual minds of the preachers and brothers, they are the Bolton Brothers. Thank you, guys. Thank you. for gospel blog talk radio coming to you from 231 avenue this is the bolton brothers from the city live in mobile alabama one of the most powerful cities i've heard in a long time it's been around for a while but it's still powerful the bolton brothers out of mobile alabama Close in on three hours of broadcasting. We want to thank you all for being with us here on House of England Gospel Blog Talk Radio. Bringing families, communities, and churches together through gospel music. We cover all elements of the human being. Thank you for your support here on House of and Gospel Blog Talk Radio. Stay with us more. Come in your way.
8: work, y'all. We're going way back, y'all. Hey?
0: Bolton Brothers out of Mobile, Alabama. Thank you, guys. Thank you all for your support. If You want to listen to more of House of the Gospel Blog Talk Radio? Just go to Google and type in the hashtag H O W C E E, standing for House of the Gospel Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, guys, and see you next time on House of the Gospel Blog Talk Radio. C radio.